Section 37 of A Minor War History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Brown. A Minor War History by Martin Alonzo Haynes. Letter 100. Camp at Ashby's Gap, Virginia. July 21st, 1863. Came up to this place yesterday and may stay here two or three days as it is quite an important position just at the present time on the one hand is the little village of upperville now devastated and dilapidated on the other hand is ashby's gap the pass through the blue ridge we are camped in fields on the slope of a mountain from which there is a broad view of the country far to the east the bleached skeletons of horses tell fierce cavalry fights at various times for the possession of the gap and close to our camp are four fresh graves of men killed in Stahl's fight with Stuart. It is a country of worn-out land nourishing a big crop of blackberry bushes. No sooner are the arms stacked than the men make a break for blackberries, and even an army can hardly make any impression on the supply. You'll probably see Steve Smiley at home before long. Three commissioned officers and six enlisted men from each regiment are going home to drill the drafted men and steve expects to be one of the detail from his regiment perhaps i will send this letter out by him our mail is a very uncertain factor both coming and going judging from the fact that you had not heard from me a week after the battle but as my name was not in the killed and wounded list you were probably not much worried we are drawing nice ham for a meat ration now i found a lot of little onions in a deserted garden yesterday four of our wounded officers have died in the hospital Charlie Vickery was shot through the back, injuring his spine. The rebels robbed him of everything he had. A rebel major came along, asked him some questions, then ordered some rebel soldiers to carry him to a barn nearby and leave a canteen of water with him. The next day this barn was in the line of fire, and he was wounded again, slightly, in the shoulder by a grape shot. When our men got possession of that part of the field, he was carried to one of our hospitals, where he died on the 11th. He would not believe he had got to die, and did not send a word to his wife, but after he became speechless, he tried to whisper something to one of the boys, but could not make himself understood. We crossed the Potomac at Harper's Ferry on the 11th. I have seen some wild places, but never any to beat this. Two rivers here unite, rushing down between towering, perpendicular cliffs, with only room for a road between cliff and river. This is the second anniversary of the Battle of Bull Run. Two years ago, this very minute, I was making good time toward Centerville, and here I am, only one day's march away, and still on the job. But we will win. Letter 101 Washington, D.C., July 28, 1863 Suddenly and unexpectedly, after all their troubles and tribulations, the 2nd Regiment finds itself in Clover. Day before yesterday, we were marching through Warrenton, sweating and puffing, when we saw General Marston standing in front of one of the houses, and looking mighty pleasant and smiling. Pretty soon, it was passed along that he was up there to get the 2nd, 5th, and 12th regiments for the formation of a New Hampshire brigade to serve under him in his new department on the Lower Potomac. It seemed too good to be true, but when after our next rest, the Corps marched on and left us, it began to look as if there was something in the story after all. Then we marched back to Warrenton and camped by General Meade's headquarters until yesterday morning, when about ten o'clock we loaded onto a train of flat cars 
and at nine o'clock last evening we arrived in Alexandria. After waiting over two hours for cars to bring us up to Washington, we hefted about halfway to Longbridge and bivouacked until morning, then continued on, took possession of the soldiers' rest, and are waiting for orders. General Marston's department, I understand, is to be called the Department of St. Mary's, and will take in St. Mary's County in Maryland. It is on the Lower Potomac, and probably a depot for prisoners of war will be established, the guarding of which, with the prevention of smuggling, will comprise our duties. This will be an agreeable change from the past few weeks. To be in a settled camp, no more long marches, mail and rations regular, a chance to bathe, fish, and have a good time on the water. We expect to stay in Washington a few days, though, until we can get new clothing and perhaps be paid off. I shall lay in fish lines and hooks among my prime necessities. Now I will go back and tell you what else we have been doing since I wrote last. Last Wednesday, the 22nd, the 3rd Corps left Ashby's Gap and reached a little railroad station called the Piedmont, and the following morning marched to Manassas Gap. This pass is about five miles long, and when we got there, the rebels held one end and our folks the other. The cavalry had been skirmishing with the enemy for three days, and this day we moved in and took our turn. The fight commenced early in the afternoon. The rebels had a strong position along the crest of a high hill or ridge, Wapping Heights, that blocked the western end of the gap. For a time, our brigade lay massed on the lower slope of an opposite hill and watched the preparations. And when the movement started, there was something about it that reminded me of some of the dioramas you and I have seen in Manchester. There was the steep hillside with the long line of blue dots, our skirmishers, curling up and up, and the solid blue lines of the supporting regiments not very far behind. The height was soon carried, and we pushed on beyond, our brigade two hundred yards in rear of the Excelsior Brigade, which we followed and supported. The Excelsiors made one charge, and it was a hustler. They and the rebels were facing each other across a deep rocky gulch. The Excelsiors charged down through this with a yell. Colonel Farnham of the 2nd Excelsior and Jen Spinola dashed ahead of everything on their horses and took two sharpshooters prisoners, although Spinola was badly wounded. Farnham was the captain of the slave ship Wanderer, which was the cause of so much excitement a few years ago. By this day's work, the rebels were cleared entirely out of the gap. The next morning, our division advanced into the Shenandoah Valley, the entire 2nd Regiment being deployed as skirmishers in advance of the column. We had not gone thirty rods when on coming into the road, I came upon the sprawling form of one poor Johnny, who had met his fate the previous day. He was apparently fighting in the shelter of a sunken road when a bullet pierced his brain, and he rolled down the bank to the roadbed. The cartridges were scattered from his open cartridge box, and picking one up, I noted it was of peculiar construction. None of us have ever seen one like it before. The paper is set firmly in the base of the bullet, so all one has to do in loading is to break the two apart with his fingers, pour the powder in, and ram his bullet home. It is the toothless man's sure-pop cartridge fast enough. I still have it among my war relics. We advanced clear to Front Royal without any serious opposition, then rallied on the colors, about-faced, and marched back to the gap. I intend to carry this letter down to the post office myself, so you will be pretty sure to get it. Hanoverit is going down before long, and I will wind up so as to go along with him. End of section 37